accomplished today through your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord God, that uh, you're going to allow us to uh, walk through the entire gospel of Mark, Lord God, in such a way uh, that we will have a greater understanding of who you are. Uh, so, Father, uh, we open our hearts and our minds and our express goal, Lord God, that uh, as we uh, go through this word, Lord God, that we would be people who bear much fruit, that we would not be cul-de-sacs for your word, that we would not be cauldrons of your word, that all we do is take in and 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 take in without ever giving out. So I pray, Lord God, that we would be people who would also express this same word to other people and that as we give your word to others, we pray that you would fill us again anew and afresh. Father, my prayer is that your word would continuously be fresh, would be new, would be relevant in our lives, Lord God. And Lord God, if we ever reach a point that we don't know why we're hearing what we're hearing, Lord God, we pray that your spirit would do its work in our heart. So Father, bless us all today that we may be doers, hearers of your word, learners of your word, studying to show ourselves approved uh, into righteousness, Lord God, concerning your word, and lift us up today. And we ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you know what is the most important thing in your life? What exactly is the most important thing in your life? Uh, each of us would probably choose one thing or another. Uh, some of the things could be very similar to one another. But without a doubt, it is... Uh, has an individualistic flair to it. What's important to me may not be important to you. One person say that my spouse is the most important thing. While another person will choose their children, they will say their children are more important than anything else. Some would select their jobs while Others will say that it is my retirement account that is important right now. But to be certain, some of you, most of you in here, would probably choose Jesus Christ as being the most important thing in your life and the most important person in your life as well. But what is the most important thing, I ask you again, what is Search your soul. What is the most important thing in your life? What is the most meaningful? Well, the current head of Apple introduced, as many of you probably already know, the new Apple products this past week. Specifically, I saw a clip on the introduction of the new iPhone 6S. He said this, he said that the iPhone is important to your daily life. <laughs> but he also said that the iPhone, that it has changed the world. Uh, do you hear what he's saying? It's almost as if uh, the iPhone has a Messiah complex. 
certainly. And concerning this new phone, he said, the only thing that has changed in the iPhone is everything. And he went on and on in this introduction. And in the introduction that I heard, that never at any time did he talk about the new features of the phone. It seems to me that if I was selling a product, that one of the things that I would do would talk about, it could do this, it could do that, and I'm sure maybe that video came down the line. There's no question about that. But instead, he decided that he would use all of his time, his speaking time, to basically praise this wonderful machine by connecting it with people by pulling their emotional heart strings. In order to sell this product, he needed to tap into the emotional arena of a person's being in order to encourage them to become passionate about this new product for which uh, he never talked about its features in the introduction. And then finally, he said, before they went to a video clip of the phone, he went on to say that this phone has capabilities that are truly meaningful to your life. Well, today we begin this series focused in the Gospel of Mark. In this series, I pray that you would engage your heart and your mind to a place of life change. It so happens that you know that our mission statement is to proclaim the kingdom of God with an anticipation of Christ's soon return. And the theme for the gospel of Mark that I'm using is the urgency of the gospel to the urban soul. The urgency of the gospel to the urban soul. One thing interesting about Mark, you remember the time in which Paul didn't want anything to do with John Mark. You remember that? Because he says, you know what, Barnabas, that, that, that John Mark, he, he gives up too easily. And because he gives up, and we find this in the book of Acts, because John Mark gives up so easily, I don't want anything to do with him. This is the same one that wrote this gospel that we're going to walk through. Paul says, I don't want anything to do with that guy. So basically, Mark, he went out as somewhat disappointed and probably feeling a failure because uh, there had come a point in which he was with Paul that he decided to give up right in the middle of the work and see Paul, he remembered that and he says that if I'm going forward and if I need someone to go with me uh, the last person I need is someone who's going to give up again on me so you know what Barnabas you can have him, you can take this John Mark the gospel of Mark is somewhat of a picture of the life of John Mark in some sense. It is a picture 
of the disciples in their on-again, off-again mentality. One day, they are hot and passionate about Jesus and his ministry, and the next day, they are denying him. One day, they are feeding thousands, and then the very next moment, they are wondering, who is this person? I would like to submit to you, brothers and sisters, that in one sense, John Mark is a lot like us. John Mark is a lot like you. He's a lot like me. That one day we are high on the hog and, and, and the next day we're just wondering, you know, is it all going to collapse on us? So I think it is within this context that Mark, he pins this gospel as we see the success and the failures, the success and the failures of the disciples over and over again as they relate to Jesus Christ. Now, now remember, this is about Jesus in the first place, amen? But Mark has a particular view of the gospel which is different from Matthew or Luke. And very obviously quite different from the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of Mark, there is this constant use of the Greek word chi, which means and. Mark uses the word and, 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 and sometimes it's translated as now in our translation, but he uses the word and 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 thousands of times in these 16 chapters. This is the thing that's fascinating to me, that John Mark, he uses this word and almost as much as it is used in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew has 28 chapters, whereas Mark only have 16 or, or 15 plus, depending on how, your view of chapter 16. It is absolutely significant that John Mark, he would use this word chi, he would use this word and. In other words, it's like he was saying, there is no time to waste. I have to tell this, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. There is no time for me to transition my stories. I need for you to know there is an urgency about the gospel of Jesus Christ that you have got to know about, and I'm going to tell it as quickly and as in-depth as I can. Mark said no. Uh, so, so Mark was saying that there is an urgency about this gospel. I don't have time to be squandering all of my resources on things that does not matter. You see, in our minds and hearts, we have been manipulated by an advertising agenda which has taken religious symbols and and, and, and awareness to move us emotionally to buy their products and ideas. Oh, I'll tell you. Phones are important, amen? Phones are utilitarian. Phones can be time savers unless 
you're one of those people still trying to figure out what this button is for and you've had your phone for six years. But when was the last time a phone changed your life? When was it uh, that a phone became uh, so important to your life to that particular degree? The fact is, at one time, the same thing could have been said of metal tools. You know, uh, when our, our ancient ancestors, when they finally uh, created the first metal tomb, a tool, I'm sure they said to themselves, this is going to change our life. This is the most important thing. And then imagine when they first came up with the first wheel. They're like, Eureka! I'm delivered. Life is changed. It will never be the same. Same thing was said about electricity. Washing machines. Rubber shoes. Ice boxes. Until they came out with refrigerators. Automobiles and radios and computers and the internet. GPS, iPads and now even 3D printers. Everything is going to change the trajectory of the human life. Everything is important until one day, guess what? It's not important. Remember the time when the most important entertainment device that we could have was a Sony Walkman? Remember at one time, uh, for some of you, that one of the most important things was cassette tapes? But remember that uh, before that, the most important thing was the eight-track take? And remember before that, the most important thing was, was LPs, and then 45s, and then reel-to-reels? Everything is important. Everything will change your life. And now it's like streaming. Streaming is really important. I love saying this to younger people. That one day your iPod, iPad, and everything else that you have, that for your grandchildren and your children, that's going to be old news. You think that you are hip and happening one day, well, right now, and then one day those folks are going to look at you as if you are old, and what's going on with that old person? Yes, there will be one or two items that will survive. And might be worth a lot of money, like it always is. But in its wake, it will leave behind itself a trail of unfulfilled people. There will be plenty of unfulfilled people who have bought into yet another lie of the adversary that says this trinket, this device is the most important thing in my life. Disappointed by all the promises made to it by Apple and all the other products that will one day be destroyed by the ravages of time. So Mark presents the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as one that is inflation-proof. This gospel is rust-proof. It is war-proof, disease-proof, skeptic-proof, and obsolete proof. 
It is with Jesus Messiah that this gospel sees him, this is Jesus, entering into the contemporary mindset of people who search for importance and search for meaning. Face it, the more that we look for meaning into finite things, the further we are driven away from God. You already know that another phone is not going to do it. Another change of location or another change of jobs, it will not bring that fulfillment that you're looking for. There must be something infinitely greater than all of life's experiences combined in order to deliver us from this cycle of madness. Because that's exactly what it is. It is a cycle of madness. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 1 verse 1. The beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel. And then I'm going to challenge you during this message, uh, because my main focus will only be on this one verse, that will be the main focus, is to memorize this verse before you walk out of the door today. Verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen, you got it? Let's repeat that together, please. Here we go. The beginning of the gospel of the Son of God. Now everyone look up. And please uh, blank out the screen behind me. I think you have it down. Now, amen. Uh, let's uh, recite that verse, please. Here we go. The beginning. Amen. So you have a verse memorized before you walk out of the door today. Mark starts off by drawing our attention to the launch of something big. We should immediately recall, right, at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we should immediately recall Genesis 1 and 1, which says what? In the beginning, what happened? God, right, God created the heavens in the earth. And now uh, Mark is saying the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But in Genesis 1 and 1, here God draws our attention to himself as being the beginning of all things. The beginning of all things. Uh, currently, I, I find these things fascinating. Uh, I think it was this past week. They're trying to figure out what to do with one of the satellites uh, this one satellite, I can't think of the name of the satellite, some of you may know what it is, that has actually uh, uh, gone around Pluto and taken shots of Pluto. They say, okay, now that it's here, it still has active life. What are we going to do with this thing now? So now they're trying, they're having a debate, trying to decide where they're going to point this thing into outer, outer space. And they're saying there's going to be a point in which it's going to enter into this total abyss of darkness before it arrives at anything else. In order to make it through this darkness, it just might be another 50 years or so. Or whatever that time frame is. I can't remember what that time frame is. But it's going to be a long time. So by the time, and they said there's enough fuel on this thing to actually make it all the way through. So their plan is they're going to put this thing to sleep they're going to set an alarm on its inner clock 
and then it's going to be set to wake up in however many years down the line. But they're going to point it at some, con some other constellation or something like that, hoping to find some other kind of life. Bottom line is that it is God that I believe that people are really looking for. He created and he put everything in motion. And scientists are still trying to figure everything out. So the New Testament begins by presenting to us uh, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So first, in Genesis 1 and 1, we talked about how in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. Now in Matthew chapter 1, uh, we see here that the New Testament beginning by talking about the beginning of the life of Jesus Christ and his genealogy. Talking about his mother Mary to carry him and to birth the God-man. One of the goals here was for us to know that Jesus Christ is of legitimate Jewish heritage and has the right to the title of Messiah or of Christ. Then, of course, we remember John chapter 1, verse 1. What does that say? In the beginning, what? Was the word and what? And what? And the word was God. John writes in his gospel these words which skyrocks Jesus into eternity past. This tells us that in the beginning of all things that the word existed. Jesus Christ, who obviously does not have a beginning, neither does he have an end. Well, you say that if Jesus Christ doesn't have a beginning nor an end, then why was he birthed there? Well, that's why we call him the God-man. Amen? But now Mark takes us to a different kind of beginning. It is not the beginning of the world, and neither does he speak uh, to uh, the pre-existent Christ uh, uh, per se. Any beginning should generally show us the first part of something, the beginning of something. Like you have the beginning uh, uh, of a pencil, then you have the end of a pencil. Uh, for instance, if you saw uh, uh, lights on a street about to seem like they're moving, we would automatically assume that those lights was the beginning of something really big. There would be a car coming around the corner. Here, the word beginning, arche, shows the start of what is to follow, namely Jesus Christ, the gospel. This beginning breaches the entire subject of this gospel without uh, indicating its totality, uh, which would soon follow in the words of Mark's own gospel. We can say this. Because we know, some of us know, the rest of the story. Uh, some of us know how the story plays out and even how you and I are an active part of the gospel story today. Did you know that you're part of the gospel story? Do you know that in one sense that we are being written into a book today? As we once saw and once read now the history of the gospel and the life of those in which they impacted, we are also being written in the book today. What will be the end of your gospel story? The gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But what exactly does Mark mean when he talks of the gospel? What does he mean? I know that many of us, uh, we can think back in our mind, uh, quite frankly, to 1 Corinthians 15. When Paul speaks of his gospel, as a matter of fact, let's turn there now. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5. And Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters of the gospel I preach to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, and that uh, he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and it goes on and talks about the uh, over 500 brothers also. Now you would not be wrong if you thought uh, that this was being a part of the gospel, especially within the context of Paul's writing here. And even in the context of you sharing uh, the good news to other folks, uh, and they want to know, how must I be saved? Well, what is the gospel? This right here is that gospel. This is that good news. This is truly good news for you and me and all people of all time. But, but Mark seems to have another idea in his mind. And it includes, quite frankly, what Paul states about the gospel in 1 Corinthians. But then Mark goes on a little further. You've already memorized that verse, Mark 1 and 1. And Mark, he mentions the gospel without any qualification. There is zero qualification. None. In other words, nothing seems to be mentioned about the gospel except the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen? As an example, look at Luke chapter 20, verse 1. In Luke 20, verse 1, Jesus is seen teaching in the temple and preaching. He's doing what? He's preaching the gospel as the chief priests, scribes, and elders approached him. Quickly turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 15. Romans 1, 15. Even here Paul says, so I am eager to preach what? Yeah, preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then very quickly, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6. And here even Peter says, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. You see, they're saying something about what the gospel is doing and what they're doing with the gospel. But here in the gospel of Mark, he only mentions the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's it here in this verse. But I submit to you this, brothers and sisters, that what, what Mark was getting at 
is the person of Jesus Christ. There it is. There is your answer. This is what we're going to be talking about for all of this time in the Gospel of Mark. That the Gospel speaks mainly of the person of Jesus Christ. Well, okay, uh, I get it, but I don't get it, right? So is, is Jesus the subject of the gospel, or is he the object of the gospel? Which one, and, and what difference does it make anyway? Well, if he's the subject of the gospel, it would mean, if he has the gospel as his subject, it would mean that he proclaimed the gospel or had a message to announce to people. All right? So Jesus is walking around saying, here is the gospel, blah, 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 blah. Here is the gospel. In that case, the gospel as a subject. But if as an object, it would mean that, that Jesus Christ, that he himself is the object of the gospel itself. It helps us to understand that that means that the gospel would be about the life and times of Jesus Christ. So there you go, Mark 1 and 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Think of it this way, the beginning of the gospel which is about Jesus Messiah, the Son of God. So Mark is saying that this gospel that I am going to present to you is Jesus So as we will see in the Gospel of Mark, it is truly about the revealing of Jesus Christ and his work and ministry. In Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, Paul again sheds light on this particular aspect. He says here, Paul, now you have to read it carefully now. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set us apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. And here it is, verse 3, concerning what? Did you get that? So even Paul himself understands that the gospel really is, it's about Jesus Christ and not simply about a message that he has. Verse 3 there, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh, uh, the, the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And then he said, if you didn't get it there, here it is again, Jesus Christ our Lord. So even Paul, he, he, he paints a picture here that this gospel is about Jesus Christ. It's not just about a message. And this is why when we present the gospel, it's not just about being saved. Amen? It is about a connection or knowing Jesus Christ himself. So Peter announces the gospel. John had a revelation about the end of all things in response to the gospel. 
But Jesus Christ, Mark says, he is the gospel. Amen? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark ends this verse by making a statement that is natural to us because we know about his claims. And that is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In some circles, these would be fighting words. They are fighting words because they imply a status about Jesus, which in their opinion is simply not true. Some would say that Jesus is a son. Some would say that Jesus is a God. But they would never impart to Jesus as being the son of God. In other circles, it is widely accepted that this is true. Uh, but uh, to actually say that, uh, that of oneself, uh, this places an individual on a plane of equality with God, that they would say, no, 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 don't quite think so. In Mark chapter 15, verse 32, soldier says, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And the Lord knows I've heard this story over and over again. Uh, we've had people who uh, call themselves atheists or practical atheists. They will, they will say that if, if God shows himself to me now, then I will believe. Here, in this cynical challenge to Jesus and his followers, the centurion remarks that if Jesus is truly the Messiah that everyone defends, then he should be able to get off of the cross. If this is truly Jesus' Messiah, son of the living God, then surely he can get himself off of that cross. So there's a recognition and an understanding by people that this Christ, that this Messiah has extraordinary power and authority to do things that the average person could not do. Which average person do you know can get themselves off of the cross? Outside of God himself, who would be able to get off of that cross after they have been beaten, nailed, and speared in the side. Mark chapter 15, verse 34. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Being the Son of God and all it entails is at the crux of who Jesus Christ is. This fact is the reason why so many divisions exist among those who claim to be Christians. And with the outsiders who flatly deny this truth, uh, this true assertion, this true affirmation by Jesus Christ. Look at what Satan tried to curse and how he tried to curse uh, uh, Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 4 verse 9 through 11. Luke 4 verses 9 through 11. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are, there it is again, if you are what? Let's try it again. Maybe you're here, maybe you're not here. If you are what? If you are the? In other words, if you are the son of God and you have all the power and all this authority, then throw yourself down from here. Show everybody how bad you are. Then he goes on to say, verse 10, 
For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now if you ever have crazy thoughts of doing anything crazy for the Lord, you better know that you are crazy. He challenged Jesus to prove he was the son of God by performing some miraculous feat. And then finally, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. The question that we must ask ourselves is this. Is the gospel truly meaningful to people who live in such an advanced age of thinking and independence as we do today? Is it really important amongst all the iPhones, the iPads, and the Androids, and the this droid, and the that? Is it really that important? Is this news about Jesus Christ applicable to a tolerant society like ours that continues to progress and move forward? Well, I will answer these questions by stating another question that a very astute lady asked me this past week. She is a, uh, a leader at one of the colleges. And she looked at me and she says, Pastor, tell me this. Why is there so much craziness going on in this world? You see, everybody is thinking it. Everybody sees it. But they're saying that Jesus Christ is not the answer. But I believe that the question that we must really ask, and this is it, it's very interesting. I heard uh, Ravi Zechariah uh, state it just like this in these terms, uh, that the question that we must ask ourselves is simply this, not why is there so much darkness and violence in, in the world, we must ask ourselves this, why is there so much violence and darkness in our souls, in my soul? You see, if, if we start off by asking the right question, then we may end up with the right answer. But if we start off asking the wrong question, then of course we're going to get the wrong answers because we're going to reject all the other answers that come across. So the question that we must ask is, why is there so much darkness and evilness in my soul? In our country, it seems that there is a correlation between the craziness and the gradual diminishing of the things of the gospel. The more rights they remove, the crazier it becomes at a time when it's supposed to be getting better. Bottom line is that people want and need the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and don't even know it. It is like having a craving for some food and not really knowing what that food is. Have you ever been there before? That you just really wanted something to eat and you just go on, a, uh, on a, uh, uh, some type of uh, 
a thing in your kitchen and you're trying to figure out, what do I want? What do I want? You're looking in the cabinet. I don't want that. Uh, look here. Look in the refrigerator. I don't want that. I want something. And then if you're really, really hungry, as I've been sometimes, you say, you know what? I'm just going to eat this right here. And you eat that stuff. You're like, I shouldn't have had that. Because after you eat that thing, you still really, you really don't feel satisfied, do you? You go looking for that one thing and you don't feel satisfied. And you see, that's the predicament this world is in. They have a hunger. And they have a thirst for something. And they are looking in all of the wrong places. And you may go and tell them, here is the answer. Say, no, I don't have a taste for that. And the reason they don't have a taste for that because they're asking the wrong questions. This is what happens to many people concerning their spirituality. They need the gospel or they need Jesus Christ, but they reject him. So we all must decide what is really important and meaningful in our lives. We must consider whether or not to invest our time, our money, and our heart in another iPhone. My goodness. So you do know that because there is an iPhone 6S, you do know that sometime soon they're coming out with a what? Come on, an iPhone what? Come on, 7. So if you're foolish enough to spend your money on another, I said, you know, I said to myself, I got to be honest with you, I said, you know what? I really like the idea of a 13-inch iPad. I'm like, that's cool, that's really cool. And then they start breaking down that price thing. And then the one that I wanted, it was like over $1,000. I said, you know what? I'm going to be happy with the one. I said, then I'm like, this don't even make sense. You got to buy not only the iPad, now you got to buy a keyboard. And then, wait a minute, you actually got to buy a stylus. Let's call it a pencil or pen, right? Uh, it's going to cost you a couple of hundred dollars to actually write on. I'm like, what, well, whatever happened to paper and pen? My paper and pen cost me now over $1,000. I'm like, I'm saying, I'm talking to myself. I'm like, David, you're crazy. You don't need that stuff. You need Jesus. So I'm like, I'm happy. I, I am content. I don't even want, I still have an iPhone, whatever it was. You probably even forgot what the number, forgot how to count that low. My iPhone is so old, you know. But I'm happy. I am content. I'm putting my heart and my mind in something that has eternal significance. But the question that we must ask ourselves is what has it done for you lately? Ooh, 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 yeah. He has already, Jesus Christ, has already invested his life in order so that you may live. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Please recite that with me, please. Here we go. The beginning... Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you again for the truthfulness, the veracity of your word. And as we continue to walk through this series, we pray that we will be encouraged in the spirit to love you better, to love you more to be able to go out and to spread your gospel, to spread 
Jesus Christ, a relationship with a real God, with the real God, with a real desire to rescue this world from certain destruction. So, Father, our hearts, it is overflowing with this deep desire to know you more. You, Jesus, Messiah, you, gospel man. It is you, Lord God, whom we embrace, you and whom, Lord God, we want to engage and have relationship. We pray, Lord God, that as you put into our life, that we would bear much fruit. Is there anyone in here that does not know Christ, does not know Messiah? Messiah.